0: welcome everybody to the fine flow podcast I'm your host Sean McDermott okay. and uh, my co-host Bill Bill how you doing this week doing great so you want to talk a little bit of uh, AI ops before we go into the weekend
1: yeah that sounds great
0: cool all right so we got a uh, as usual we got a couple of stories to bring up and then we got kind of a main topic. So uh I'm going to lead off this with uh an article that came out from CIO magazine uh by a guy named Peter Wayner around the top 10 AI ops platforms. So this one I say this every week this is interesting. Um but uh this is uh this is kind of this i i'll I'll start off with the um, the the, uh, the criticism <laughs> and then uh, then we can jump into some of my thoughts but the very the very first sentence of this says uh, artificial intelligence once a magical concept, the stuff of science fiction now decades uh, of research and commercialization is making another tool for the enterprise stack to be running um, yeah you know, I think AI ops is not yet. Uh, mainstream he kind of makes it sounds like AI ops is obvious for everybody. I know he's talking about artificial intelligence, but the um, I just kind of found that as the first sentence like you know AI ops is still pretty new I mean we've most of our customers yeah. aren't even implemented they're just kind of thinking about it um, yeah. and then uh, and then he kind of jumps into some things which I, there was a couple of things that he talked about uh, use cases uh, first use case that he talked about was cloud deployment. Uh, second one was around processing alerts and, and we've talked about processing alerts and the other ones around root cause analysis. And a lot of stuff that we hear about AI ops is around root cause analysis. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this article?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously there's, um, you know, we talked last week, I re- I remember about, we didn't name any of them, but there's a lot of newcomers, I think they, I think the market's growing two and a half times they expect in the next five years. And so there is a lot of room for newcomers and products we're just learning about. And um, I think in the next article, we're going to talk about a professor who's from Europe that has a product and we've heard of others. And so there is room for new technology, new products, new innovation. And some of it's just features that are going to be rolled into legacy products or products that are already there. As I look through this list, I mean, every one of these has been around at least five years. Some of them have been around 20 years, right? Like the Dynatraces or the, IBM, IBM and Watson. So these are really the big, the big vendors that are sort of establishing their place in the market. And as we went through them, they're all, I think we've worked with almost all of them, at least eight or nine out of the 10 and have good experience with them. I mean, none of them are going to be ones that you're going to have, you know, a failed implementation, but I think it's all about setting expectations. And so, um, it was interesting as I, you know, I'm not. We're not going to. We'll let the reader sort of read the article and look at the, uh, you know, look at the strengths and weaknesses and where they fit. But there, there, I, there were a few things that you sort of look at that differentiates them. So I'll just offer this up to the to the listener. You know, data. You know, some of them collect certain types of data better than others. Um, there's definitely some that stand out from providing context and topology and discovery, and it isn't just aren't just doing like text. You know, algorithms. Um, some of them do algorithms, anomaly detection, thresholding, and, and some are doing other types of, uh, algorithms. Um, you know, there's some that stand out that do a lot of feedback and kind of learning. So they do sort of supervised learning. Um, whereas others are more, they're just, they're, they're going to learn themselves, but they don't sort of allow for that feedback. So, and, and uh, there's a few other things to look at, but, um, you know, cloud, some of them are on premise, right? Whereas others, you, you really just have one option, which is running in the cloud. So there's definitely you know, eight to 10 kind of major categories that I highlighted five or six of them here that I think you can look at that, see how these fit for your environment. But, you know, it's hard, you know, we wouldn't say on any of them they're it's bad. It's a bad choice. It just depends on how it fits, what your needs are and where you're trying to go. So that's, that's, that's my thoughts, but I think it, it's a pretty good list. I mean, probably pretty close or almost the same The type of list that we would put together if we were asked to do this.
0: Yeah. I don't know really where he got this list from. There's really no reference in here of how he compiled that list, but you're right. You know, I mean, just to go through like at dynamics, big Panda, DataDog, Dynatrace, GitHub, copilot um, IBM Watson logic monitor and Moogsoft and uh, new relic and Splunk. Right. So pretty big names in the, in the, in the space, definitely. And, I think that it's pretty accurate and that most of these players are introducing AI engines into their, into their products. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, there's a number of these lists starting to go around Forrester just put out a list of, you know, the, the, I think under their wave, uh, methodology yeah. for evaluations. So, and I think, uh, having checked out that already, you know, I would say, I think there's like 10 or 12 on their list too. And, and they're about the same. One that kind of jumped out at me here was GitHub copilot. I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. i I don't know if I would consider that an AI ops platform because it seems to me to be more of a uh, predictive coding language um, capability, and there's some um, there's probably a fair amount of people out there that are skeptical or 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 unsure whether you should be doing predictive code writing and and he talks about that in here. But the other ones you know we'll we'll definitely see them around and and um hear a lot more from these guys going forward uh, before we move on uh just a shameless plug right is that yeah. we are uh, getting ready to come out with uh ai ops evolution uh podcast season two and through the demand of uh people listening to season one there was a lot of requests for product um, reviews and product, uh, you know, understanding. So we are actually, that's what we're season two is going to be. So tune in to season two of the AI apps evolution podcast. I think it's slated to come out. We're in uh, October October timeframe. So beginning of Q1 and we'll actually be having pretty much all these vendors on and representatives from the companies to talk about their products and what they're doing. So pretty excited about that. And we're, we're actually in production on that right now. So. Um, Great. moving on. So next, yeah. next thing we were talking about, you and I were talking about is, uh, a, uh, professor out of the Netherlands did, a, a, uh, uh, exactly I was interviewed. Was did a, did a speech. Yeah. did a speech and was interviewed and, uh, you know, I'd love to kind of, you know, you, you were pretty interested in this one.
1: Yeah. I think, it, you know, this is a, I mentioned last week, there's a lot of the, the PhD programs and even off was one of the one listed. I mean, there, a lot of their research was out of a university or two in in, in England, and, and and we're seeing a number of universities, PhD candidates in AI, that are shifting their attention to AI ops with 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 the growth. and And this was one professor Odedge Chal that's in um University of Technology Berlin. And so I won't mention his product name, but he's involved in a in a product launch that does really log analytics. Um, so he really provided and gave the speech about what what is AI ops, and it's some of the same stuff we talked about, but he boiled it down to a, a few things. Um, you know, one of the, you know, we talked about basically breaking down AIOps into three steps, anomaly detection, you know, what looks different, root cause analysis, which is, all right, now we've identified what are anomalies. You're going to see a whole bunch of anomalies. What's the root cause and then decision-making remediation. So if you are, we actually did work with one customer who gave us a pretty simple, point of view around AI ops that, that align very much like that. And just if you want to keep it sort of where your investments are going, I think those are three pretty decent, you know, big, big categories. And so um, you know, the other prediction he made in his speech was that he thinks right now, um, AI ops is still sort of growing, but that most companies in two to three years are going to have AI ops in their platform. So they're going to be either upgrading to, you know, platforms that have bring AI ops or they're going to be investing in others. And they're going to need to do that simply to kind of keep pace. Um, so thought that was interesting. Um, you know, and then, and then I think he just sort of gave sort of a, one on one, a one on one sort of introduction to machine learning and basically said, most of these tools are providing rules where you manually go in and say, if this, then this, or group these things by these very specific things, Supervised learning, you know, and then unsupervised learning learning. So he kind of brought an academic point of view, you know, to this to to, to the space and and any sort of touting a little bit of the product and what they're doing around logs. Um, so I don't know, Sean, if you have any thoughts about sort of, um, where, you know, products like this are going or any of the thoughts he had in in the article.
0: Sure. I, I, you know, there's a couple of things that I thought points that came out. One was starting, starting with the data and we'll talk about that in a little bit because there's a whole conversation we're going to have in a few minutes on that. But, I think he's right in the fact that you've got to start where the the use case for AI ops right now really is around processing data and where does that come from where in the it world and monitoring and and log management, things like that are creating tremendous amounts of data, you know, terabytes, petabytes of data per day. I mean, we have a number of customers that generate multiple terabytes of data a day, which was unheard of like 10 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, um, and most of them, Uh, Most customers now are collecting and most I think people are collecting lots and lots of data, right? And so he talked about start with the data and that most companies are in a pretty good position to to do that because of their investments in Splunk or Sumo or Elk, you know, Elasticsearch Mm -hmm. and that whole Elk stack. So that's, I, I agree with that on there. Um, mm-hmm. he talked a little bit, I, I agree with the prediction, you know, two to three years, I think is going to, I mean, most companies are going to, uh, be, you know, having AI ops as part of their, their infrastructure. It's just a matter of whether they're going to be bringing in AI ops intentionally, or it's going to be coming as part of upgrades to existing platforms. So like if you're a new relic user and you. Upgrade and bring in their AI engine. You're technically using AI ops, but as we've talked about before, AI ops is a strategy. It's not necessarily a tool. So we want. Um, so so I agree with that. It's just a matter of our company is going to be positioned to take advantage of AI. And the last thing I think we talked about, uh, or you brought up, which I thought was was a very interesting point. And again, that's what kind of 101 around machine learning was rules versus supervised learning versus unsupervised learning and yep. i think you know having been doing operations for 20 some years right and being you know one of the first micromuse guys back in 1997 the uh we did a lot of rules development hard-coded rules into their rules files they literally would call rules files and uh that's been pretty much a pervasive way, pervasive way of doing things for the last 20 years. And as we move into AI, we need to start thinking about, uh, machine learning and machine learning models and, you know, the supervised is really about, you know, kind of injecting, uh, known things into the engine with getting it to learn. And you kind of know what it's, you're, you're predicting what it's going to learn because you're kind of teaching it something where it's unsupervised, where, where we're going allows you to bring in all kinds of structured data and let the the
1: system learn on its own so uh I, what go ahead i think i'd comment on that along those lines before we move to the other the last um topic was it's interesting we t- you talk about remediation and that's his third step decision making remediation you know a lot of i we i haven't seen a use case really where there is a unsupervised or learning that's truly taking place and then that's driving some sort of automation and so it's interesting to see how much of these become the learning happens but then you if you want to get to the step of remediation and fixing something do you sort of turn that into sort of a rules a rule right or something that has to have that you're now bringing some human intelligence to kind of guide that and and say okay that's good learning now let's make that a rule to drive some sort of remediation or automation. Um, because right now yeah, I think we see a lot of unsupervised and supervised learning is they're provide it's providing suggestions or direction to the to the human, right? But if you take it to the next step, you know, do you need to hard code that to some extent, right? Or create sort of some sort of rule.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think that we're doing mostly supervised learning now, right? Because we're, I mean, on our deployments around AIOS, we're doing a lot of model manipulation and things like that and building new models and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. And and I think, you know, this is going to lead on to our next topic. Um, you know, you're going to need skill sets right to do all this. And that's where I think some of this gets lost a little bit in that talking about this, uh, this theoretical what can be done. It just doesn't naturally happen, you know, companies have to kind of go into the mindset. So. So let's move on, uh, to our last topic and spend a little bit of time here. So this is a, um, this was an interesting article that was written called the miss six misconceptions about AI ops explain. And by the way, if you're watching this on the left-hand side of the screen, you should see all these articles and you can click on them and see what we're seeing. Um, so my first comment on this, which was, what's really caught my eye right off the bat was what is augmented IT operations, you know, parentheses AI ops. And it just kind of made me laugh because there really is not even the definition yet of what AI means. Like what's the a, is it, uh, algorithmic, is it artificial? Is it augmented, um, that still hasn't been decided. I think Gartner came out with algorithmic uh, when they first coined a term. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, now I think, you know, most people just, just assume that it's AI and, and sometimes we think about it as augmented. So, um, right, right. I don't know exactly. what your thoughts are on that, but that's small, I think, I think small a small, small thing of the old, of both,
1: right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's whatever you feel like calling it for the day. And, um, and maybe you start with uh, algorithmic, then you start with augmented and then you end up with AI some years from now. But, um, so there's, th- there's uh, five things in this article I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on. Um, mm-hmm. Really, five, the truth about AI ops. what do you find? So the first one is AI ops is not a product. 100% agree with that. Uh, he actually calls it a feature or a capability. I'm going to deviate from that because uh, that's not necessarily how we see it. Second one is you need AI. You, you, before you do AI, you need ops. And you and I have had a lot of conversations about that. Third one is AI ops is a cultural shift. We could have a whole broadcast just talking about that. Um, integration is king and queen. Uh, totally agree with that. And the last one is use the open source Luke. Um, so really emphasizing open source. I think that's debatable. So let's go back to your does, you know, so does, your thoughts on know this. You
1: have it. Yeah, I don't know if he has it in front, if you have it in front of you because it's six misconceptions actually. So the last one.
0: Oh, I did, I'd missed
1: one. Yeah. Data data data, 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 data. Yeah. So I'm just, how yeah. well, thank you.
0: Thank is. you. Yeah. I didn't miss it. I said six and I only said five. Um, <laughs> so, um,
1: yeah, so your God. thoughts on this? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, the, 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 what the a stands for aside, um, maybe just I'll comment on the first couple, um, things of what he said, you know, AI ops not a product. It's, it, it's interesting. He said it's a feature or capability but then he really talked about the magic is in the interconnection you know when you interconnect all your tools um and so like you know a single neuron doesn't make a brain he says and so he gets more into that as far as what kind of integrations a little bit later on but he did he did list out you know five separate things features that would be critical to AI ops. you know baselining metrics doing root cause analysis anomaly detection some sort of correlation and then also what if scenarios and simulations which some, some they're in some of the tools we talked about in the beginning but they're not in all the tools some you know not all those tools provide that simulation step and so what we see is some tools are better at some some of those things some are some are you know better at others but you know pulling it all together for across all of the different domains that sort of interrelate to provide an IT service is really what he talks about the magic happening and so it isn't about you know a standalone tool that's really going to provide all of this, especially across your entire IT infrastructure. Um, you know, and then, and then that sort of leads to the second part, which you need ops. And so we've talked about that a lot that, you know, before you add the AI, you need the data. And he talks about data, data, data at the end is you really need to, you know, look at your data. You got to make sure you're bring you're not just bring throwing all the junk and all the noise, Everything at your AI or else you're just you're just going to overwhelm it and do work. That's not needed You really want to do what he calls an exploratory data analysis on your data and look at You know what what is the data that we really need to pull in that's telling us something about the infrastructure Which may have an impact on performance or availability? Um, And so I I think that's smart, you know, and, and we've seen that many times when we worked with sort of manager of managers um, that you do want to throttle, and you do want to kind of be smart about what you're pulling into the system, into your your AI. You know, maybe your centralized manager, a manager AI. Um, so he talked next about cultural shift, and I know Sean, you've you've thought a lot about that as far as the organization and sort of the difference. Um, you know, sort of from a leadership standpoint and vision and, and the value of of this and that, how important the organization is to that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I, I think that with the cultural shift, right? Because yeah, I spent a lot of time on this um, because I think people don't understand exactly how much of an impact culturally, organizational, behaviorally, behaviorally, things are going to change when you start introducing AI ops into into your strategy. Uh, the other aspect of this, there's so there's two parts that he talked about too that I found even, um, you know, that I kind of focused on a little bit more was the the use of open source right and certainly there's a lot of organizations out there that are using open source for uh especially in their monitoring like we talked i mentioned earlier like the elk stack and uh but i i think that the way he explained you know one of the benefits of using open source is to be able to to go into the coding and see how things are performing at multiple levels and i and i I get that. But again, I keep coming back to this idea that that takes skill sets, right? It takes, and I just don't know how many organizations are going to have access to that level of skill sets to use open source technology because you can do a lot with the open source and you can tweak it and you can customize it and you can write your own. Um, but again, it takes people, it takes smart people to be able to do that. And, you know, so I think there's going to be a lot of organizations out there that are going to be really relying on the market to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And bring the market to, to bring solutions and, and prepackaged capabilities that they're willing to pay for, because it's easier for them to pay a third party company to do that versus trying to hire a team of data scientists and, and. He brought in the idea of data sciences into this cultural shift, right? So they're they're kind of intertwined because the cultural shift is going to require you to bring on new people into your into your IT organization that you don't necessarily have today, i.e. data scientists. But the more technology you have delivered by third party vendors, like the ones we talked about, you know, the ten we just talked about, may allow you to not rely on. As many data scientists coming into your organization, so everything has a balance here, right? And I, I, I again, I thought this article was excellent, right? And it, it just highlights that that you know everything has to kind of, you know, operate in balance of, of all these uh, technologies and tools and skill sets and organizational change and vision. That you know, this is why. You know, we keep saying AI ops is a strategy. It's not a product, right? It's not a use case. It's it's really a broader vision of how you want to run your organization with the introduction of AI into it, and and all the changes that are going to happen. And I and these are pretty good highlights of some of those changes. So, uh, Bill, I think that that uh, kind of wraps up our time here today. Um, thanks a lot for joining us. This. Uh, like like you're you're like some special guests you're on here every week uh, but thanks for uh, joining I hope you have a great weekend and uh, one I want to thank our sponsor windward consulting group uh, global leader in AI ops you can check them out at wwwwindwardcom windwar com or you can google AI ops investment plan and they should come out at the top of that uh, And so everybody, I hope you have a, I thank you for joining us on this week's uh, episode and I look forward to seeing you next week and have a great weekend. Take care.